The sky is starting to clear. Like we, the, all, all the trash has already floated up to the surface and we've already started to like start doing a lot of that cleaning. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Bankless Nation, it is the second week of July. I hope you are enjoying your Friday morning because it's time for the weekly roll up. I said it this time, not you, David, but how are you doing, man? On the second week of July, crypto still being kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. We're getting some liquidations. We're getting some bankruptcies, some consolidation on the market. How are you feeling about things? You know, pretty, pretty good, I'd say. Yeah? Uh, successful Sepoilia testnet merge. Two of three test nets ready to go. Is Gorley next? Uh, and like, meanwhile, the BlockFi story has, I think, concluded. That story is over. We're gonna recap the conclusion of that story. Uh, Voyager goes bust, but we already knew that. Uh, the final death of Three Arrows Capital. We kind of already knew that too. And also Reddit and Facebook doing NFT things, and no one really noticed it. And so like, Ryan, like, we're we're also like a little bit great. We're actually more than a little bit green right now. Uh, again, positive news on the merge. No more contagion. Uh, I feel pretty you good. You think things are getting cleaned I, up? I think, you think yeah. The like contagion yeah, is. Yeah, the skies we're, we're getting are our stuff together. The sky is starting to clear. Like huh. we, the, all all the trash has already floated up to the surface, <laughs> and we've already started to like start doing a lot of that cleaning. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. How how are you feeling? Yeah, you know what? I I think that uh, the contagion might be over at least this first pass, and this unless we get another big leg down, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm always uh, cautious to say that, but we've had a lot of crypto banks go under, and that's been the story, and we're going to continue talking about it uh, this week as well as everything that is else that is going on in crypto, including uh, macro stuff. Mm -hmm. If as always, if you guys enjoy these weekly rollups and bankless in general, make sure you like and subscribe. All right, on the podcast, that means making sure you're subscribed on YouTube, hitting that click uh, subscribe button, and also giving us comments, throwing comments uh, mm -hmm. our way, and five stars reviews. We always appreciate that. David, have we, have we told them to get their morning coffee yet? Uh, yeah. We we yeah, get your morning okay. coffee. Get, second get your morning time. coffee. Second cup. Yeah, yeah second you cup. probably already drank your first cup. <laughs> so it's going to be a two cup roll up. <laughs> Let's talk about Juno, though, David. This is a crypto bank that we actually do like and we do recommend because it is an easy way to bridge onto layer two. What is Juno doing for us? Oh my gosh, so much. The coolest thing about Juno, it's a, it's a normal checking account. It's a bank. Uh, you know, fun fact, I actually do have a bank account. That's how, I pay, <laughs> that's how I pay rent. So we all need our checking accounts. It's the place that, you know, the money goes before you buy Ether or Bitcoin. Uh, but with Juno, you can get from your checking account to a layer two on Ethereum directly. Goes checking account to layer two in, like immediately in seconds. So that's kind of crazy. Uh, free withdrawals. Uh, and so you don't have to deal with like layer one gas fees. You don't have to deal with like the bridge wait times. Uh, so that's already crazy. It's Optimism, Arbitrum, uh, I think. Uh, what, what else is there? Polygon, uh, Polygon I think. And, um, and then the, the yeah, ZK rollups are ZK also coming, coming out soon. soon. Yep, yep. ZK Sync and Starware. Uh, and then you can, you can also trade crypto with zero fees. Uh, we like zero fees. Uh, we like crypto assets. And then if you so choose, you can get 6% on your USDC and 3% on your Bitcoin and Ether. What I also love is they'll convert your paycheck. You can get your direct deposits into this and they'll convert mm -hmm. your paycheck into crypto. And then you can like immediately withdraw that to layer two. And some people are saying, well, you guys are bankless. Well, we still also live in the real world. It's a, it's and a process. Uh, I still have a Wells Fargo account, sadly. I haven't been able to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. But I do also have a Juno account because that is a DeFi-friendly crypto bank. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean you have to keep all of your funds on Juno, right? Mm -hmm. Keep the minimum necessary in the banking system. 
Uh, but these fast withdrawals to layer two and all of this uh, crypto native and DeFi native support is super useful. So um, go ahead and get your Juno account. There's a link in the show notes. Also, if you go to bankless.cc slash capital J for Juno, you will be able to uh, get that link and earn $10 when you deposit. David, let's talk about markets, man. What are the markets doing? We actually have uh, a A little bit of sunshine. It's a green week. A little bit of sunshine. Yeah. So Bitcoin started the week at $20,000. We are currently at $20,730, about 3.5% in the green, Ryan. 3.5%. Above 20K is a good day. All right, how about ETH price? Uh, That's up even more. Yeah, are you ready for this one, Ryan? Yes. Uh, Ether started the week at $1,030. We are currently at $1,215. That is 18%. That is 18% that is green big. week. That's a big, that's a big green week. What is this? Are people bullish suddenly? Bullish I don't ETH? know. I, don't, I didn't know that that was allowed in this market. Well, let's look at the ratio because that's mm-hmm. also bullish. That must yeah. have gone up with the numbers you just quoted me. Yep. Up 8%. We are currently at 0.058 where we were down to 0.054 or 53 earlier this week. You still believe this is a reliable bull market, bear market indicator? Oh, yeah. So it's a little oh, bit yeah. bullish on the week. I mean, it's, not, it's, it's a lagging indicator, not a leading indicator. But I mean, it's been it's been up since June. Uh, the bottom was like June 10th or June 12th or something. So like, it's been slowly grinding up ever since June 12th, which was like when this contagion started. So like, I guess a, mo- a month of note, contagion though, in the rearview mirror, which is bullish. Important to note, though, in these bear markets, there's always these fakeouts, right? Mm. So what'll happen? This happened in 2018. How many times did it happen? Where like we'd go for a steep drop. And then we'd recover, and everyone's like, oh, here's a ray of hope. There's the sunshine. Like, maybe we're out of it. And then, boom, we get hit by another major drop. It happened a lot. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I I'm had no idea what the hell I was doing when, in 2008. Uh, I, I was like, yeah, you're, you're, you're the elder millennial here. Yeah. Well, man, I, uh, I remember. And I thought a few times, I was like, okay, this, this has got to be it. This has got to mm. be the end. We're still on a road to recovery. Although I will say that the feeling is a little bit different this time, David. I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of people are have already capitulated to the fact that we are dead in a bear market and we might be in a bear market for years right. at this point in time. And that to me is a, a good signal because we didn't see that in the first mega drops of 2018. People were still in denial mm-hmm. and they'd spent more of this phase in, in denial in that like, oh, maybe the bear market, maybe the bull market's not over. Maybe we'll just recover and things will shoot back up. Maybe this is another big dip. Um, but what is the cryptocurrency chart telling us from a global perspective? Yeah. How total, much value in crypto right now? Yeah, total crypto market cap up from $934 billion to $976 billion. So That's going up too. Yeah. yeah. Um, the sentiment though, from a macro perspective, doesn't feel so great. An economic yeah, that, that, update. That's, that's Here's a, a tweet. True. Could you read this one out, David? Yeah. 58% of Americans now living paycheck to paycheck. Consumer confidence lowest since 1950. Stock market having its worst year since 1970. Mortgage demand lowest since 2001. Credit card debt up 20% in one month. And then they followed this tweet, uh, this, uh, these metrics up with the recession is just getting started. This is where I always go back and forth. It's like, okay, these are all like lagging indicators, right? These are telling us of, well, you know, the zeitgeist of the times. Everyone feels bad because the stock market's down. No one's buying homes. Everyone feels priced out of homes. Not only are homes still pretty high priced, but the mortgages are really, really high. Uh, and you can see this choice, of these the economic conditions showing up in impacting consumers because they're having to load up on credit card debt and credit card debt up 20% in one month. Uh, and so, but these are all as a result 
of the last like three months. And I don't think they are indicative of the future three months, um, but they could be. Yeah, could this be. is, uh, I, I think it's a good marker of, of sentiment. And I do think some of these data points are probably like um, selected, right? So, you know, for instance, this stock market having its worst year since 1970. Well, you know, at the beginning of January, stock market was like close to like all time highs, yeah. right? So right. there's some data sampling here that is definitely skewing towards um, the bearish side. But definitely this R word, I'm, I'm seeing that everywhere now. The everywhere. recession, recession, yeah. recession is just getting started. And I feel like sentiment from an economic perspective has shifted towards everyone's now expecting a recession, right. even yeah. though that hasn't formally hit yet. Um, mm -hmm. But what's the US dollar doing? Because I mean, the US dollar is still strong. It's looking good. In fact, it is pumping. Yeah, yeah. For the first time ever, I think there's parity between the euro and the dollar at the moment. Not the first time ever, but first time in, in like far as I can remember. Uh, yeah, so the headline here, euro tumbles to a 20-year low, putting parity with a dollar in sight. Uh, the Dixie, the DXY, which is a chart that we don't have up, but uh, it's the basket. It basically measures dollar strength versus a basket of other currencies, is continuing to increase. Uh, and this, I think this is... Um, relevant to the dollar milkshake theory. If people are familiar with that, we had Brett Johnson on the podcast forever ago to talk about what the dollar milkshake theory is. Basically, it's the general theory that in economic hardship conditions, there's a flight to dollars, which is what you would expect in a downturn. People just fly to, fly to dollars. But also because there's so much debt pent, pent up in the system that when it comes time to pay the debts, it basically there's a squeeze on the dollar supply because everyone's trying to get their hands on dollars to pay back their debts. Uh, and so in bear markets, uh, as we've seen in crypto, everyone, when time, when numbers go down, people have to pay back their debts. This is why there's a discount on staked ETH uh, because people sell staked ETH for Ether because they need that liquidity. People are just selling assets for dollars because they need liquidity and therefore the dollar is really, really strong right now. Sadly, this is also an indication of a future recession because as dollar strength goes up, corporate profits go down, like real rates go down, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so it's, 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 it slows growth. High dollar value slows growth, and that triggers a recession in addition to all the other things that trigger recessions. The basic idea is the dollar drinks every other fiat currency's milkshake. Right. That's why it's called the dollar milkshake theory. And uh, we're seeing the euro at its lowest level since twenty uh, since two thousand two, and yen is down even worse to its right. lowest level since two thousand one, which is pretty crazy. Another sign of recession, it feels like, is oil. So remember, we were very concerned about oil. I mean, economists were very concerned about the price of oil shooting mm -hmm. up for all sorts of different re reasons. Of course, you know, war in Ukraine, other reasons as well. Uh, now, oil has just tumbled as much as ten percent. I don't know about you, David, but around me, gas prices were just down on the week, down like mm. forty cents a gallon or something like that, 40, 45 cents a gallon. And uh, it's it's incredible how fast that is happening. Mm -hmm. But of course, oil demand being down is another sign of recession. It could be a, a sign of waning inflation too. Yes. We don't know because right. inflation itself is is also a lagging indicator. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so this is this is a mixed uh, data signal, right? Uh, oil prices are down because people are buying less oil because people are buying less in general because of you know the quote unquote recession that we are currently in. You know, still debated whether we're in a recession or not. Um, so dollar like demand for oil is down. Uh, 
But that's good because we need prices to go down because oil price goes down means food prices go down, which means inflation comes down, which is literally the only way out of this recession is if we get inflation to come down. So like mixed signal here. Uh, and it's kind of the signal that you want to see. We want to see oil prices come down as a result of killing demand. Uh, and so like, you know, it kind of sucks that like we're having to quell inflation by having a recession, but that's kind of the bargain that we made when we printed a bunch of stimmy checks two years ago. This is definitely the bargain that, um, Jerome Powell and the central bank explicitly yeah. wants to make. If you want more info on that, go tune into our Jim Bianco episode that we did mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago where he's basically like the, the fed has one big stick and it, mm -hmm. it has to beat inflation over the head with it. And that stick is called recession. That stick is called making everyone feel bad so yes. that they don't spend as much money and decreasing demand. Mm -hmm. That's the stick that we're getting beaten over the head with. So this is expected, uh, as you'd say. A few interesting crypto numbers in the midst of all of this is, David, did you know that USDC, Circles USDC, is now on track to topple Tether, USDT? I thought this would happen a couple of years ago, right? right? Because mm -hmm. just Circle is a regulatory, like from a... Um, Assurances perspective, it's a it's a more transparent uh, dollar stablecoin than Tether. Um, mm -hmm. Looks like it's happening now. I actually think it makes sense that Tether took such a long time to dethrone. Hasn't be, been dethroned yet, but like the regulatory gray area that Tether lives in actually is one of the reasons why it's got adopted by so many people outside of the United States. Um, but as soon as like the United States takes a leadership position, uh, which is being helped by Circle, like eventually the regulatory, once, once the regulatory uh, arm comes in and like we all start to have regulatory fears, people go from Tether to USDC. So, I mean, the writing's been on the wall for a, a while. Eventually crypto is gonna become big enough where regulatory reasons are, con are a concern. So you would naturally see that flow out of Tether and into USDC, which is what happened by the way. Like Tether has seen a decrease in total supply, but USDC's market cap has grown by 8.27% since May. Uh, highest level ever hit of total USD supply, 55.9 billion was hit on July 2nd. In contrast, UST suffered a 19% drop in total market cap and is currently at 66.14 billion. So USDC at basically 56 billion and, U and Tether at 66 billion. So not far away. And you know what? Away. All the crypto um, bulls that I know, even if they're exiting some of their you know positions, their core crypto holding positions, mm -hmm. unless they need the money to go pay bills, they're not exiting to fiat to like dollars yeah. in a bank account. They're exiting to something like USDT or USDC or Dai, right? To these stable coins. So it's always interesting to me in these in these even these bear market cycles, you do tend to see stable coin grow. Uh, mm -hmm. stable coins uh, appreciate in terms of uh, total market cap because that's where people are parking their money. Isn't USDC, like if you own, buy USDC and put it in your Ethereum wallet, which is, which by the way, Ethereum is called a, an account-based ledger system as opposed to Bitcoin's UTXO, unspent transaction output system. Anyways, when you buy USDC and put it in your Ethereum wallet, your Ethereum account, aren't you just using it? Isn't that like a proxy for a bank account? Yeah, Because like it totally USDC is, is one- yeah, is USDC is one massive bank account, and then mm -hmm. all USC account owners on Ethereum are one micro bank account. Totally, it's just another proxy for it. It so is, that's cool. but it's yeah. on better rails, right? So like, right. I could send you 
as much as I want at any point mm-hmm. in time. There's no like banking hours. I don't have mm-hmm. to go like show up with my ID to my bank in order to wire you funds. I can send it right. to any ETH address. So it's like, it's still like USDC and stable coins are still a crypto superpower, guys. This right. is still a use case the world hasn't woken up to. It's so much better than trying to wire money right. in the stupid traditional banking system. <laughs> Ryan, I, I had to send a $10,000 wire to this angel investment this week and no one knows where it went. It's just lost. It's I lost? Have to, I have to go call my bank. They have to go call their bank and they're like, all right, like who, where'd this money go? Did you this see? Like, do you know of any mistake that was made? Like, I have no clue. I have no clue. I have to go find that out. But it's just like, how do we just lose money? It's it's like, it's like, where'd it go? It's like, I can, there's no tracking. I I can see, I can send a a 10,000 USDC transfer on Ethereum and I can watch it penned in real time and it's wherever it's going. The fact that it just like disappears and then it's like, oh, we lost it. Like, this is ridiculous. It's funny. It's like, to be honest, David, even ignoring all the hassle, which is a massive hassle. Mm-hmm. Show up in a bank, present your ID, do the wire thing, the cost, five days it takes to get something internationally. Ignore all of that, okay? Just like I am now more nervous to transfer a wire from one yeah. place to another than yeah. I am to send a uh, crypto transaction. I, mm-hmm. It used to be reverse to me. That's another right. like minor flippening. I used to be terrified to right. send crypto. Like double check. Let me send like right. the test mm-hmm. transaction. Let me check this 10 times. Now First I'll send $1, then I'll send $10. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Then- <laughs> and now I still obviously check everything and make sure like right. user experience has gotten a little bit better. And like the fact that I can see it instantly. Right. I mean, if you're wiring money, who knows where it's going? Yeah. And that is way more risky in my mind. That's been an interesting, uh, you know, flip that's happened in the last, uh, you know, two or three years for me personally. Anyway, so we're yeah, good. We okay. got off track. Uh, Rocket back Pool, back to more 200K ETH staked. That's a big mm-hmm. milestone too. Another crypto number we are looking at. Uh, and then also ENS is still on a tear. What's mm-hmm. happening with ENS? They just released their uh, June stats. That is a bright spot in the NFT market. Yeah, so ENS June numbers, 122,000 new .eth registrations, uh, $3.3 million in protocol revenue, all going to the Dow. Uh, that's 2,500 ETH in revenue. Uh, 25,000 new ETH accounts with at least one new ENS name. So that's 25,000 Ethereum wallets with a new ENS name. And Ryan, that's, that was just June. We're one week into July. And you can see that tiny little bar chart down in the bottom right corner. Uh, so far, seven days into July, we are basically where all of June was. So the last seven days, you know, we still have three more weeks. So the June, the July numbers finish. We're basically on par. The first week of July is basically on par with all of June. David, so David you know anyone playing this game? game? Oh, I know. Yes. A lot of my, there have been a, a lot of my like crypto friends that I've been trying to, they, they, I tried to get them into DeFi summer. I tried to get them into NFTs. They, they did get into NFTs and then got burned. Sorry about that. Uh, but then of their own accord, <laughs> without, <laughs> of their own accord, without me like kicking them in the butt, they're all playing the ENS game. And so like, yeah, they have like, they've registered a ton of ENS names. They're, they're sitting on a lot of them. Yeah, they're playing it. And so people have found like a new a market to play in like nft games look this has an analog right it's domain names are valuable dot coms are valuable dot <laughs> nets are valuable they mm-hmm. weren't like and you could just see this obviously they're going to be valuable in crypto and for various things and you know anyway DAOs, nfts every single uh piece of property will want to have its own uh dot eth name that is the the bull case for all of this i don't play in this in the speculation though david i just you yeah. know we collect a few things here and there we got bankless.eth 
I got, you know, my uh, my initials, a few other things, but I'm not playing these games. Yeah, you, you saw David.eth got bought for 32 ETH. Oh my God, really? Yeah. Recently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this last week, yeah. Uh-huh. I wonder what Ryan.eth goes for. What do you think? Do you think it's worth more or less? Less than 32 I think Dave, ETH. I think David's got to be worth more. There's more Davids. Yeah. There's yeah, better right. Davids that's a, that's than there the are right Ryan's Good, crypto, good take, Ryan. Good take. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we got so much more to cover. The, the contagion that has spread, maybe this is the last week that we'll have to talk about that, but another C5 bank going bust. This is the conclusion of Voyager, and uh, we'll talk about that. Also, BlockFi gets their bailout, some good news there, and crypto banks are consolidating. We're going to talk about the big winners and what that means. We will get back to all of these things. But first, we want to tell you about these fantastic sponsors to help provide some tools to help you go bankless. All right, guys, we are back uh, talking about the first big item this week that you need to know about, which is Voyager, a crypto bank, a CFI lending service and borrowing service went bust. We've been talking about that. They had exposures to three arrows capital. Here's how this resolved. You know, though, David, I feel like all of these uh, new centralized CFI lending services are kind of coming out of the woodwork a little bit, like right. ones that I didn't really know much about. Right. And I don't know about you, but I didn't know much about Voyager. Did you know anything about Voyager? Alt, alt crypto banks. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, I, uh, you know, I know the BlockFi's and the Nexos right. and, you know, the Celsius and such. I was not covered, like following Voyager. I'd I was just taking a scan before. of their website. Yeah. Look, award-winning crypto app, 100 digital assets. Look how nice this looks. Looks like a nice fintech platform. Yeah. Yep. I get my debit card. Looks right. nice, uh, safe, and secure. I can go um, take a look at uh, the products here behind this. Um, and uh, don't, don't forget to click on the token tab, Brian. There's a, oh, there's a token tab there's too. There's a token tab. Let me, let's talk about the products. Um, get started in under three minutes. Look at these annualized rewards here. Oof. All very nice. They do Oof. have a token, the standard Voyager loyalty token. token. All right. Uh, the Voyager token, meet the Voyager token. Boost right? your crypto a, yield with the Voyager token. All right. Crypto banks like where, their loyalty where I, token. Where do I right? buy? You can stake it, of course, because why not? Uh, you go to the about section and, and take a look at the team. Oh, look. These guys look competent. Look, look at those suits. Um, they all wear ties, Ryan. They all wear ties. Biggest red well, flag in the universe. Super competent, though. Okay. Um, <laughs> this gentleman who's the CEO is a brokerage and market structure veteran who founded mm. Lightspeed Financial. Previously, he worked as the CEO at E-Trade, professional trading. My God, this is great. This looks like a fintech platform meets crypto. It's got the LinkedIn button. Yeah, they they, they must keep my money secure. It must be safe to deposit and earn like 8, 9% uh, interest. Wow, 8, 9%. Yeah, look at this, man. 8% 8 on on ApeCoin. (laughs) 8% on ApeCoin, dear God. (laughs) 9% on USDC. Look at these Mm. tiers. You know, all looks very standard. Wow. All looks very, very like fantastic, nice and shrink wrapped. And by the way, Voyager is a publicly traded company. Oh, okay, yeah, I forgot about that. This is listed on the Tr- Toronto Stock Exchange, so you've got that uh, air of legitimacy too. But why don't you take us through what happened with Voyager? Right. Yeah, so uh, like the, on the theme of the last few weeks, we have to go back a few a few weeks because these things happen over you know longer than seven days. On June fourteenth, Voyager releases a digital an update on their asset and risk management policies, which I'm going to pull out a few quotes to read from. Uh, As a public company, Voyager operates with a consistently high level of transparency, providing regular quarterly financial statements detailing the company's financial position and financial statements to closer surrounding risk management practices and counterparty exposure. Uh, 
Voyager differentiates itself through a straightforward, low-risk approach to lending and asset management by working with a select group of reputable counterparties. Reputable counterparties. which Low are, risk. Uh, low risk, which are all vetted through extensive due diligence by its risk committees. Mm. Voyager holds a strong position in the crypto industry. Not only were we among the first to go public and f- provide full balance sheet uh, transparency, our leadership also has deep financial expertise across the sector and has led companies through multiple market cycles, says Steve Elrich, Elrich Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of Voyager. The company is well capitalized and in a good position to weather this market cycle and protect customer assets. It well, is Voyager- all this sounds great, David. And this sounds so good. <laughs> what could go yeah. wrong? Uh, the, it's Voyager's goal to continue to build secure products and services as well as build trust and leadership in the cryptocurrency industry. Okay, reminder, that was June 14th. That was about three weeks ago. June 22nd. Let's go forward in June 22nd. Uh, the news breaks. Voyager digital stock plunges after disclosing over 60, $660 million of exposure to, in an uncollateralized loan to a Three Arrows Capital, an unsecured loan. Uh, and so this balance included $350 million of, uh, of USDC and 15250 BTC loaned to Three Arrows Capital. So that news got released on June 22nd. That's pretty unique, too, that uncollateralized yeah. loan piece of it, right? right. Like BlockFi right. ran into tr- trouble, but their loans were completely collateralized right. to right. Three Arrows Capital. Yeah. Okay. So July 6th, and here's the news of this week, uh, Voyager uh, goes bankrupt. Uh, and so they have filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Uh, and so again, a, a few quotes I'm going to pull out. Crypto lender and uh, broker uh, Voyager Digital has filed for Chapter 11 bank- bankruptcy, estimating that it has more than 100,000 creditors. That's retail. Uh, the single largest creditor is Alameda Research with unsecured loans of $75 million. Voyager Digital is a publicly traded company listed on Toronto Stock Exchange. The company has also issued VGX token, allowing users to earn boosted rewards, high referral bonus bonuses and better pricing on trades. Uh, on June 22nd, the company announced that its exposure to Threos Capital listed the uh, assets that I just mentioned, mentioned a second ago. Uh, and on July 2nd, Singapore-based Threos Capital filed for Chapter 15 bankruptcy, which allows the company to shield U.S. assets and block creditors like Voyager Digi- Digital from re- filing lawsuits. Uh, and so on a July 6th, press release, Voyager announces that it has commenced a voluntary Chapter 11 uh, bankruptcy to provide maximum values for stakeholders. Under this plan, which is subject to change and requires court approval, customers with their crypto account, so if, you have, if you're a retail investor, investor, if you're a retail depositor into Voyager, customers with their crypto in their account will receive an exchange of a combination of the crypto in their account, as much as they can get back from Voyager, proceeds from the three arrows capital recovery, which could be zero, uh, common shares in a newly reorganized company, and more Voyager tokens. So common shares in a newly reorganized company. In order to pay back the debts that Voyager owes their retail customer, they're basically like giving them equity for a new company. It's like a future IOU. It's like, sorry, we don't have any money to give you but we can print equity and give that to you instead. Uh, and so uh, the current state of, uh, of Voyager is that they have about $110 million of cash and crypto assets on hand. Remember, they gave Three Hours Capital $660 million. And they said that they will provide liquidity to support day-to-day operations. So that's they're going to pay their employees. And then moving on to the last quote that I'll read, uh, Voyager has approximately $1.3 billion of crypto assets on its platform, plus claims against Three Arrows Capital for more than $650 million. Um, 
So like, yeah, they're not completely like they have assets. Uh, they have like, I would say like 50% to two thirds solvency, but they're missing like a big chunk, missing a big chunk. So the big picture story here is um, crypto market goes down and then press release to reassure everyone in Voyager, look, we have our risk processes covered. We're solvent. Everything's fine. We're a responsible company. Hey, look, we're, we're publicly traded. Depositors, don't worry about it. And of course, if you're a crypto bank in this situation, you kind of have to say these things mm -hmm. to project confidence so that you right. don't get a bank run. Right. All right. Under behind the scenes, they had a number of uncollateralized loans to like Alameda Group, uh, mm -hmm. also uh, Three Arrows Capital. These loans were not low risk at all, particularly the, the one to three hours capital. That went completely bust. And now if you are a depositor into Voyager, so retail investor, you were looking at the website earlier, David, with those attractive returns and look at the sleek interface and you got the mobile, um, you know, the mobile experience and it's an easy one button click to deposit. Well, what do you get as a result? You ain't getting your money back. Mm -hmm. What you're getting instead is, Whatever crypto assets are maybe remaining, some percentage of 100% that you deposited, the proceeds from some sort of three hours capital recovery, three hours capital owes them 650 million. Will they get any of that back? Who knows? Maybe uh, Suzu's yacht is for sale. Maybe you get a portion from that. I don't know. Uh, common shares in a newly reorganized company, whatever that's worth, and Voyager tokens. That's what you get. Do you? Rem I don't know if you remember back in like, was it like 2016? Yeah. I'm going back in my past year. There Talking was a Bitfinex, Bitfinex yeah. which had a major hack. Mm -hmm. um, I, it, was, it was Bitfinex and um, they like lost funds as a result. Right. So they lost depositors, depositors money and they did something similar where they, where they kind of spinned out, uh, spun out a token mm -hmm. and gave that to some of their depositors. It's funny, last cycle, some crypto banks went bust because they actually got hacked, lost funds. This goes all the way back to Mt. Gox. This cycle, what's happening is some of these crypto banks, these centralized lending providers were completely irresponsible okay. with their clients' funds and uh, lost it that way. But it's, it's kind of funny how it's you know, playing out in a similar way that, here you get tokens, you new equity. It actually worked out for um, some of the Bitfinex depositors in that over time, their tokens were actually worth worth more. Bit Bitfinex did pay their customers back. They made their customers whole. It took a number of years, but they got there. Yes. This could have a happy-ish ending, I suppose. Right. Really depends on what Voyager and the management team does from here and if they're able to unbury themselves and, and mm -hmm. add more value to this equity. Not a good place to be if you're a depositor, though. Absolutely not. And of course, because this is contagion, we're bleeding right over into the story of Three Arrows Capital. Three Arrows Capital has formally filed bankruptcy, so this story is slowly coming to a close, although it will definitely take a while to play out because there's going to be a fight in court. Uh, Three Arrows Capital has petitioned the British Virgin Isles court to uh, for, for bankruptcy. And the reason why you would want to do this is, well, because you have to, first off, but also uh, they say that without the relief requested herein, this is in their, their filing, creditors may pursue a value-destructive race to the courthouse to exercise rights in a manner that would enhance their own position vis-a-vis -vis other similarly situated creditors. Basically, Thuros Capital owes a bunch of money to a bunch of people, and all of these people, all these entities are racing to seize 
Three Arrows Capital assets the fastest so that they could get their money back before other people get their like there's like you know 10 billion dollars owed and there's like 1 billion dollars of assets left and who everyone's trying to get that 1 billion dollars of assets left and so because of this race it would create capital destruction it would force liquidation at unfavorable rates et cetera, et cetera. and so this they are filing for bankruptcy to preserve as much capital as possible knowing full well it's ultimately going to get liquidated but they will just want to liquidate it for the most amount of value possible so that they can make their creditors as whole as possible but the point i want to make is that this is a lesson that when markets break things revert back to lawyers and courts this is what we saw in 2008 there is still to this day ryan fallout from 2008 going through court proceedings because of the mess the absolute spaghetti mess of the credit default swap era of of like of the 2008 and so this is exactly what's happening to Thero's capital and when 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 markets break Ultimately, we have to have lawyers say like, okay, these people are owed this and these people are owed that. Uh, and so this is an example of when, when we, things we don't want to have happen. Do, do you know, I, I want to put one asterisk on that, which is like, that's true in traditional finance mm -hmm. and centralized like markets. That does not have to be true in DeFi, right? right. Number one, DeFi held up better. Number yep. two, the code is mm -hmm. the liquidator and the settlement engine. The code and is the court. In the Ethereum world, in the DeFi world, the code is actually the law. And mm -hmm. so you wouldn't see that if you're liquidating a maker ETH uh, you know, collateral loan. For, first of all, that should happen in an orderly way. And second of all, it'll all be settled on chain completely transparently. We don't have to go to the court system. That's where things get very expensive and inefficient. Mm -hmm. It's going back to the court system and having lawyers and nation states try to arbitrate all of this stuff. And that is exactly what we're trying to avoid with DeFi, which again, we'll say, has held up very well through this liquidation cycle. I think Leighton Cusack has a take on that later that we'll get to. Um, but one other question I have in my mind, David, is look, these are all um, Three Arrows Capital's NFT holdings. Oh, no. <laughs> look, man, look at all the art blocks that they purchased. <laughs> Um, autoglyphs, sport ape uh, yachts, crummy signals. Mm -hmm. Like, what's going to happen to these things? And you not know what the, this reminds not me of? the crypto punks. <laughs> Do you know what? Hang uh, on. For, for, the, for the listeners out there, we're looking at a pie chart. It's uh, And so all of Three Arrows Capital's NFT holdings through their Starry Night Fund, I'm pretty sure. Uh, we got 40.7% of their NFT holdings are crypto punks. Ow, my bags. Um, it's going to be liquidated, brother. Art, art Blocks curated is 33.5% of their holdings. Uh, they got some pegs, which I don't know what that is. Uh, Mutant Ape Yacht Clubs. Uh, they got a few autoglyphs, um, some other things. Uh, God, looks, they're going to liquidate so many look, crypto punks. All this stuff looks good on the way up. It doesn't look so good on the way down. I'm reminded by this. To me, this was like peak NFT season. Do you remember yeah. this tweet from Suzu? Right. right. They this spent is, so much money on that. Are we JPEG. looking at um, an Artblocks NFT? Is that what this that, is? That is a ringer. That is an okay. Artblocks NFT. It's a ringer, NFT. which yeah, was you know peak NFT season. This right. was a tweet from Suzu from August 27th, almost a year ago. The thesis, we like the goose. We it's like because this. this random generated NFT art looks like a goose. And I like it too, but now it is like part it of that much. pie chart, David, <laughs> is being liquidated. I don't know that I like it for like $10 million or whatever was, was paid for this thing at the time. So um, that's what's happening with Three Hours Capital. A few other contagion Hang on, events. hang on, hang on. I'm going to go find out how much that goose was sold for. <laughs> you know where I found out? Where? Uh, Metaversal. Thanks, William. <laughs> uh, 
Hey, Ryan, uh, you want to know how much that goose was sold for? I'm super curious. Can I guess, though? Sure. I, I'm going to guess, I said 10 million just now. I'm going to guess actually 15 million. I'm going to round that, boost that up. Uh, 5.66 million. 1,800 okay, ether. That's a deal. Uh, so, <laughs> what's it worth now? I don't think very much. I'm going to go with like under, under half a million dollars. So if bought for 5.5 million, 5.6, uh, under half a million dollars. Do you know um, one thing, if it's, pers- if it's Suzu's personal funds, but now that you know kind of the history of Three Hours Capital, and this is like mm-hmm. some retail money went into this. Right, yes. If you deposited your money into you Voyagers, <laughs> you, it's, you helped Three Hours Capital buy the goose. Did you know you were doing that? They borrowed your money and bought NFTs with it. And now those NFTs are down bad. Things got silly, man. Things got very silly. Um, But some consolidation is happening in the crypto banking system. At least the the, the strong crypto banks, the Mm -hmm. ones that have survived, the Binances of the world. We talked to CZ last Friday. He said he's looking at buying things. Sam Bankman-Fried from FTX will talk about what he's doing with the BlockFi deal, but also Nexo, which is a centralized lending and borrowing uh, platform, a CeFi crypto bank, has uh, come out of this stronger and is now in the process of uh, potentially acquiring crypto uh, lender Vault. This is another one I haven't heard of. I haven't heard of Vault, but it looks like uh, all, they're, all they're sniping those banks, assets. Man. All crypto banks are coming out of the woodworks. <laughs> I, so we're seeing this consolidation. I think um, mm-hmm. Nexo is going to come out of this stronger. I think FTX mm-hmm. is going to come out of this stronger. Binance is going to come out of this stronger. Anyone who wasn't irresponsible during right. the bear market, if you weren't irresponsible or during the bull market, if you weren't irresponsible during the bull market, if you have some cash on reserve, if you didn't go margin long, if you didn't bet everything, 100% of your net worth, you're going to come out of this stronger as well. And that is the lesson that we learn every single bull market, don't we? Uh, if I had my money in Nexo, I'd be like, oh, thanks, guys. That'd be thing. Thank you. I guess. It's a crapshoot, though. If, you, could you guess you don't, which you one? Don't know until, don't know. Like, you don't know until after it's too late. Exactly. And so, like, it's like, it's, it's like all right, like, you want to get your yield. You're going to use a CFI lender. You got Celsius. You got Nexo. You got, I don't know, name some other ones for me. You got, you got all these ones. Voyager. And like, it's just like, place your bets. Well, Voyager, no, Voyager was a crypto exchange. They weren't even a lender. Oh, they were a lender. They were. They, were they did that, too. Were, yeah, you're right. So, but it's like, you know, place your bets. Which one of these is responsible and which one's not? Because the marketing don't. all sounds the same. The website the looks the same. The risk the management, same. the executives yeah. that they hire. All mm-hmm. are wear suits and ties and look very mm-hmm. official. So you have no idea yeah. until something like this happens. <laughs> Oof. That's pretty rough. It's a pretty rough existence. Um, what happened in the BlockFi story, though? We keep on reporting on this contagion every single week because, again, as soon as things goes to court, it takes a long time to play out. Uh, but at least one part of this story we are going to formally wrap up, probably, which is the BlockFi side of these things. FTX and BlockFi have reached a deal for up to, but not at, $240 million. Uh, so they are acquiring BlockFi, all of BlockFi, right? Like all of it uh, for two, up to $240 million, which also gives BlockFi a $400 million revolving credit facility, basically a loan to allow for liquidity for their users. Uh, and so um, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this $240 million valuation depends on startups, on, the, on BlockFi's performance triggers. So they need to like, hit certain milestones, and if they don't hit certain milestones, then that valuation goes down. Uh, What these details are, uh, undisclosed, uh, but 
Uh, there's rumors that the lowest end of, these, of this thing is a $25 million valuation. Uh, and so here's a, uh, a statement out of, a, or a quote from this BlockWorks article. Although Prince, Zach Prince, the uh, CEO of BlockFi, did not disclose the lower end of the acquisition, CNBC reported that the deal was pegged at $25 million. Prince denied CNBC's reporting, which he dubbed unfounded, which, I mean, is part kind of par for the course for these, like, CFI banks that say, like, trying to preserve, like, uh, and maybe it is, maybe it's not. We yeah. don't know. But you know, yeah. FTX is getting a great deal on this, right? right. Yeah. They they are in the driver's seat. They set the terms yeah. of the negotiation, like Darth right. Vader style, coming in here and being like, "Hey, <laughs> this is what we're going to do for you." Do you know what's great about this, though, David? Is in this BlockFi situation because there's gradients of how irresponsible or even responsible that um, CFI lenders actually were, right? So you have Nexo, which is still left standing. They probably did an okay job as evidence. We don't know all of the details, but as evidenced by the fact that they're still standing in their building. Uh, FTX did a fine job managing risk. Binance did a fine man job managing risk, it seems. Um, Celsius, on the other side, did a terrible job managing risk. The only bonk, one bonk. worse that we've seen so far is probably Voyager, which was just handing out unsecured loans. Well, okay? Thuros Capital was the worst. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, on the other side of things. But <laughs> they, were, they were like not accepting deposits directly from retail, even though they were behind the scenes. No, they were, they were accepting deposits the, from the retail aggregators. Yeah, so exactly. So re retail aggregators gave money to Three Euros <laughs> yes. Capital. Again, we said this in the last roll-up. Three Euros Capital was the contagion. Yeah. That 7% like, that, that you saw in Voyager... Three hours capital. That like whatever percent you saw on Celsius, three hours capital. Well, except Celsius was doing some other things. Oh, Remember, yeah, Celsius that, that was, was like that was they were yeah. like they were in staking assets. They were like betting in these right. weird speculative DeFi things. They were doing. They right. were off the yeah. you know doing. Yeah, I guess doing it was both three hours capital and Celsius. But, but BlockFi, okay, they were kind of in the middle. They did some right. things that were irresponsible. I'm sure that they regret doing. But mm. in this case, depositors' funds are going to be safe. FTX right. has bailed them out. It's looking good. If you have your funds in BlockFi, you should be able to get all of your money back. They never had to pause anything. So there's kind of gradients, right? We see mm -hmm. like really bad case scenarios. We see decent risk management coming out of this stronger on the other side. And we see situations like BlockFi, which are kind of in the middle. Um, they uh, definitely failed, but not completely. Um, this mm -hmm. is the last maybe, hope this won't be the last time we hear about no. Celsius. But what happened no. this week with Celsius, David? Yeah, so Celsius famously has this maker DAO vault. They have a bunch of WBTC inside them. They pulled out a bunch of DAI. Uh, as, they, as of very recently, they have fully paid off their entire debt. So they no longer have debt in their, uh, in their vault. Is that a good and so, thing? Well, it sounds like a good thing. Yeah. Basically, like, my interpretation is they are waving the white flag and saying, like, we have had enough. Like, we are out. We are liquidating at whatever price. So they're price. selling all this. We're selling. And so uh, Hal Press says it does indeed look like Celsius is prepared to sell about $500 million worth of BTC. Wow. That was uh, tweeted out just a couple hours ago from the time of recording. And so, like, it, it's basically like a change of pace where Celsius previously was, like, aggro leverage yield farming. Now they are being hyper-conservative at, like, suboptimal prices. And so because of, because of this, like, change in demeanor, 
my opinion is that they and other people are saying like, well, they're kind of going to close up shop and this is what they're doing. Uh, this, that's just speculation. Um, but uh, the idea, the, the change of like, we're going, we're, we were going to try and have this business of leverage yield farming, but now we're just going to pay back all debt possible and just like liquidate whatever assets we have is like, to me, uh, they're just waving the white flag. And so this is, uh, this is a tweet from Light Crypto Sells. Uh, uh, that's CEL squeezing on vault repayment is comical when considering that this is likely a move in preparation for bankruptcy filing. I yeah. think um, sell is the Celsius token, right? Correct. And yeah, so right. they're talking about price action here. It, it all begs the question of what in the world is the sell loyalty coin actually worth, right? Yeah. What is the Voyager loyalty coin that depositors are getting? Uh -huh. What is that worth in this world? The truth is nobody actually knows. Not equity, uh, whatever that, whatever it is, it's not equity. Anyways, that is all of the contagion once again. There'll probably be more things to talk about next week, but at least some of these stories are coming to a close. Uh, coming up next in the show, we're going to have to burn through these because we took a really time, a long time on the market section and, and contagion section, like like I would imagine we would. Um, but NFTs on Facebook, crazy that that's not the, like the biggest news of the week. Um, Reddit. Also deploying NFTs on Polygon. Also crazy news. Uh, there's crypto phone wars to talk about. There's people getting into the hardware game. And also merge updates. Like, actually, big news. Uh, but, you know, contagion. Overshadowed. If it, bleeds, if it bleeds, it leads, Ryan. If it bleeds, it leads. So we're going to get to all of that news right after we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. The merge. We have successfully merged Sepoilia. The second of three test nets has finally completed. That has gone. That went through a couple days ago, uh, and it was successful. There were a few hiccups here and there, uh, but they were un, not related to the merge. And so the general consensus is that this is good news, and we're not going. Whatever the hiccups were, they were unrelated to actual merge progress. Uh, uh, so here, here's Terence.eth, who I believe works at Prismatic. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's true. Uh, and he says merge trans transition is was a success. 25 to 30% of the validators went online shortly after the merge. The offline validators were due to wrong con uh, configurations. Since then, the offline parties have updated the configurations and validators are up. So, like, uh, there are no client bugs and the hiccups will not delay the merge. Uh, and so, cool, good news. Uh, we are at 95% participation rate. So that's like a 95% success rate, which is pretty damn good. Uh, the numbers that you don't want to see are 66% or below. I'd say like anything above like 92 and a half percent ish feels pretty damn good. 95% is pretty good. 95% pretty good. Uh, David, what's the next one? Remind us. So we've got, these are dress rehearsals, mm -hmm. right? We've got uh, two down. Is it one one left? One left. The Gorley testnet, the last testnet, and this is the one where like, oh, this one makes it real. Uh, and so the state of the aftermath of the Gorley testnet, whether it's positive or negative, will become extremely indicative of the of the actual merge. If it's a bad result, then like we might kick the testnet the merge back one or two months. If it's a good result, like yo, like late August, early September. Uh, Don't we say it. Stop. <laughs> late Don't August, say dates, early David. September. I didn't say dates. I said late August, early September. That's a date range, my friend. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, when the Gorley merge happens, uh, TBD on the actual date it has to be a date decided. Uh, the date will probably be decided. Uh, when's the next all core devs call? A week from today. Uh, we are live streaming. Close. We are live streaming this with the ETH Stakers group. Uh, oh, so, we are. Yeah. Bankless. Oh, yeah. Do you not know that? Oh, yeah. We're, we're, no. We're, when is that? Uh, well, Ryan, in about seven days. The Alcor Dev Call <laughs> will determine when the Gorley oh, testnet sorry. is. I should listen to these rollups <laughs> yeah. more closely. Yeah, uh, if it's not decided, then it'll be decided at a later Alcor Dev Call. 
But when the Gorley testnet does merge, we will be live streaming it with the, with the East Stakers group and a bunch of other people. Maybe we'll invite HellPress on because good timing then. Um, and that, that's when we get to see. Oh, let's definitely yeah, have HellPress yeah, back. Yeah, let's do that. I, so, I want to see if he's buying in yet. Yeah. What, um, what's happening? If he's still uh, trying to bet oh, on the merge. Oh, well, I got uh, dinner with HellPress not too long ago. I got a bunch of alpha I haven't told you yet. Uh, yeah. All right. I want to hear that too mm-hmm. after the show. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it to a debrief, David, <laughs> on the premium podcast feed. Uh, guys. Uh, let's let's talk about some news that went <laughs> Actually, by the we're wayside. We're totally gonna do that. Help press alpha leak on the premium <laughs> feed. <laughs> no, we'll open that up to everyone. Um, Facebook is testing Ethereum and Polygon NFTs mm-hmm. on its profile. Facebook, this is the company now called Meta, but Facebook is the platform with two billion users worldwide mm-hmm. they're getting into nfts and no one noticed this week right. what's happening here well so i mean we already reported on the instagram integration of nfts and it's more like more or less the same thing uh but for facebook uh so users will have a digital collectible tab on their facebook profiles where they can showcase their nfts um and users will be able to connect their wallets to their facebook profiles and they'll be able to turn their nfts into facebook posts which can be reacted to liked on commented on it's basically just like kind of basic nft integration into facebook Facebook. Um, so like that's, that's awesome. So like Facebook's now huge, you can buy right? uh, an NFT for your mom, right? For uh, Mother's Day, and, right? And, and you know, make a post and make a Facebook. post about it. Yeah, but the thing is like. This is like who's left on Facebook? It's like our crazy aunts and parents and stuff. Uh, I know. When's the last time I you logged into Facebook? Oh, uh, forever ago, dude. Uh, yeah. actually, You're heavy Instagram though. Yeah, I'm pretty heavy on Instagram. Um, don't follow me. Please don't follow me. I deny Why? every single request. Not you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The listener. I was like, wait, what's the content there? <laughs> now you've got me curious. Yeah, no, you're, you can follow me. I get a bunch of Instagram follower requests. And I delete every single one, so don't try it. Um, NFTs on Facebook, though. That's a big deal, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is it, though? Because like, now all of our aunts are going to reach out to us and be like, son, can you help me set up my crypto wallet so I can share these NFTs? Dude, why are you making fun of that? I'm so happy to help all my uh, aunts and uncles and everyone who wants to. Good luck. I will help you. Good luck. Good luck with that. Let (laughs) let me me know how that goes. Um, Don't follow David on Instagram. Don't follow follow me on Instagram. (laughs) Uh, Crypto phone wars. Did you see that this week? I did see that. Oh, by the way, we forgot to look at this. These are what the NFTs, for those looking Mm -hmm. on Facebook, this is what they're going to look like in Facebook. See, they're they're just normal pictures, but they just have like the digital collectible hexagon checkmark. Yes. The only thing. Hey, these aren't just JPEGs, okay? This is property rights. These are NFTs. Verified, verified JPEGs. <laughs> you know what? It's cooking up, uh, heating up, though. It's mm-hmm. the crypto phone wars, mm-hmm. okay? Solana just released a uh, flagship Android phone. Okay, I think they bought this company. It's called um, Sega. The thesis here from Anatoly, what, the f- uh, founder of Solana, almost 7 billion people use smartphones around the world, and more than 100 million people hold digital crypto assets. Both of these will continue to grow. So Solana should own its own in-house phone company in order to deploy this. Um, so far, David, sales not looking too good. You can actually see this on chain. Um, sales, pre-sales have been about 2.5 thousand K pre-orders, which kind of begs the question of like, does a blockchain really need to have its own phone? I know Anatoly has a history of like Qualcomm. He's very close to this. So maybe he feels differently. But I got to tell you, this would feel really weird if the Ethereum Foundation was like, and now we have a phone, the Ethereum, the Ethereum phone. phone. <laughs> we bought some like Android, uh, you know, startup company. It feels very strange. It feel, I'm, I'm not going to say it, 
No, I'm going to say it. It feels a little EOS, David, to yeah. me. Remember that they were off buying like voice.com? Voice. Yeah. And, you know, social networks and all these things because they didn't know what else to do with their capital and they had right. so much of it. Um, maybe there's a justification for this. Maybe I'm wrong. I got to be honest, though. I don't really get it. It really seems like it. a massive distraction really to a uh, blockchain network. Just the answer here is what is the unique properties of the hardware of the Solana phone versus a normal phone? Like, because that's the only reason why you would get into the hardware game. A hardware so, game, yeah. Solana, Ethereum, blockchains, these things are software. So you want software in your phone. You, what is the different, like we can have a, sec a secure enclave to have like verifiably, like you basically a built-in hardware wallet in your phone, which is like separated and compartmentalized from the rest of the phone. That's the only like hardware thing I can really think of that would be like different for, that would enable like a blockchain phone. Other than that, it's only software. It's that's blockchain that phones have been tried. No, yes. they've never done well. They've no. never done well. They've never done now, well. Now, uh, this is a different strategy. It's interesting, mm -hmm. it's the same week. This is why we call it the wars because there's mm -hmm. new sides to this. So Polygon is taking a different approach to the, the mobile phone wars. Here's what he says. Mass adoption of Web3 will happen on mobile. Polygon is prepared for it. Our strategy is not to make our own devices. Interesting contrast. Instead, we will integrate with existing manufacturers. Today, we are proud to announce our first major integration. This is the HTC Desire, which is going to be a metaverse phone with Ethereum and Polygon support. So the difference in strategy here is they are not getting into the hardware game. They're not acquiring anything. They're partnering with existing uh, phone manufacturers and phone builders. And uh, right. to me, this makes a bit more sense. Right. Uh, but I guess we'll have to see these strategies play out and, you know, could be proven wrong. One, Ryan, one does not just make a phone. <laughs> it's just not what you do. <laughs> you, yeah, it's a Boromir meme. <laughs> one does not just make a phone. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, uh, that's hard. That's an extremely saturated market. You're going up against, like, HTC. You're going up against Apple. Like, you don't, you don't have a competitive advantage just because you also have a blockchain ecosystem. That blockchain ecosystem does nothing for you. So it makes sense to, like, what do Polygon should do what Polygon does best, which is build software, and they should partner with somebody that does hardware really, really good, like HTC. Uh, so a few more details. Uh, HTC preloaded its 4.6-inch phone with applications from its metaverse arm, Viviverse, offering users what is called a rich metaverse experience without a VR headset. With Viviverse apps in Vi Vivi, wallets built into the phone, users can create virtual avatars, manage crypto assets, including non-fungible tokens and cryptocurrencies on Ethereum and Polygon, the company said in a press release. That seems to make much more common sense to me. Hey, uh, Bankless Nation, are David and I missing something? Yeah. Tell us. I mean, is we're, this a good idea? I am not a hardware expert. Tell, I, tell actually, us in the comments. I have built a computer before. I know something. <laughs> Look, YouTube commenters will, will tell us <laughs> yeah, if they, we're wrong, David. <laughs> Even if we're right, they'll, yeah. they'll still say we're wrong. The elf um, is always in the YouTube comments, isn't it? Talk about this. This is a you know a quick thing, mm -hmm. but I think worth talking about. Immutable right. with a fiat off-ramp? What's this? Right. Okay, so Immutable tweets out, Major update, ETH off-ramp is now available to any developer building on an Immutable X power platform. Developers can enable their users to sell Layer 2 Ether and have their proceeds deposited directly into their bank account. Uh, okay, so you know how we talked about uh, Juno going from your checking account straight to a layer two? This is yeah. the opposite. So you, if you have Ether on Immutable, you can go from uh, Immutable to your bank account. 
Why would you want this? Well, imagine you're somebody who does not care about crypto, but you do have this crypto game that you really want to play. I uh, can't imagine that. I can't get in that headspace, sir. <laughs> but go on. And you keep on playing this crypto game and you acquire a bunch of assets and you're like, oh, these assets that I've acquired are like, I can get like $200 into my bank account. Now you can, with a snap of your fingers, go from the gaming assets that you just acquired, sell them on some marketplace, which Immutable already has built, that's already done, turn that into layer two ether and then send that money straight into your bank account. So that is a user acquisition strategy, it's an integration strategy, it's an onboarding strategy, and it's also a Trojan horse, Ryan, for a bankless life. Because first you come in, you make buy, you play a bunch of games, make a bunch of assets, sell a bunch of ETH, put your money back in the bank account, and then you're like, well, wait a second, but what about all that DeFi stuff? And then all of a sudden you're a bankless person. Uh, this this um, crypto thing becomes really real when people start earning money mm -hmm. in it, right? So like you're earning these uh, crazy expensive gaming items, and then you can convert that to go pay your your rent, pay your right. mortgage, mm -hmm. buy something. That's when all of this becomes real. Uh, if Facebook wasn't enough, Reddit, 400,000, over 400,000 monthly active users is launching an NFT marketplace on Polygon. They're using Polygon for that. Pretty big deal to me. They're starting very small, David, though. They're starting with one NFT community, uh, a small set of avatars. But I, I don't know if you've ever seen this mm. in Reddit. There's the ability to create your own avatar. And so they are going to, right now, this is not fully NFT enabled, but it's going to be such that you can select a, uh, a collectible that is an NFT and set that as your avatars. So they're mm. going to be selling these NFTs as well. And they're going to be uh, partnering with artists, a 50-50 revenue split on uh, transaction sales. So anytime a piece of art is sold on OpenSea, then the artist gets 50% of the transaction sales on that. So kind of a unique new model that Reddit is now experimenting, and I'm curious to see where this goes. That is kind of the NFT adoption that we were really looking for. Rather than like NFT artists going straight to the blockchain or straight to some like, you know, front end, they're just going to more, uh, you know, obfuscated platforms, uh, abstracted platforms like Reddit. And just like ultimately things settle down back to the blockchain, but so much of the blockchain is hidden the way it should be anyways in the first place. Like if you think the future of NFTs are people like going to OpenSea and buying NFTs, that's not the future of NFTs. It's like aggregators like Reddit who use Poly, uh, polygon and like minti NFT minting in the back end and then just display the thing on the front end. Uh, yeah, like you can buy these things with the credit cards, like $25 in a credit card. Yeah, Done. Exactly. Don't even know you're on a blockchain. 100%. So that is just user acquisition right then and there. Uh, talk to me about more NFT stuff in the, mood uh, in the Moonbirds world. Is Moonbirds mooning again? Is that a thing? Yeah, so apparently the Moonbird floor went up, uh, and so somebody asked why, uh, and somebody responded with uh, a, a, a picture of a, a trademark, a trademark filing system. So there's a lot of text here. So I've, I've, I read what, th what they were filing a trademark for. It's called Moonbird Ravens. It's basically an online NFT marketplace. Uh, the issuance of possible of, of currency, so like maybe like a, a Moonbird ERC-20 airdrop. Uh, there's also online art gallery services that are part of this like spec for their trademark. Uh, they want to create a virtual environment in the name of an online community for registered users to collaborate, share, and comment on digital media and also with social networking services. So Moonbirds filed a patent called Moonbird Ravens that does all of these things. So basically they're making a metaverse. Um, so incoming Moonbirds token and Moonbird metaverse, cool. There you go, Kevin cool. Rose has been busy. Yep. Uh, we'll have to bring him back and see what he's up to. Also, do you remember that Axie story, the mm -hmm. bridge hack? 
what happened yeah. there. Some yeah. details broke about what actually happened. It's kind of a crazy story. Yeah, so no one really knew how the uh, bridge got exploited. We just knew that it did get exploited. Uh, apparently, we found out. Uh, and so one of the Axie uh, people that was in charge of like running the, the bridge nodes uh, applied for a job that in, uh, involved him downloading a PDF and so that PDF had, you know, corrupted code in it and that corrode. And so this guy was specifically targeted by the Lazarus group, by the way. The Lazarus group is that North Korean hacking group. So like this, this, uh, this Axie engineer was targeted by North Korea. Uh, From applying to an external job, right? Applying to an external job. And this job application like had him download a PDF. And that PDF had corrupted code in it, weird code magic that, uh, that was able to expose the private keys to the validator and allowed for North Korea to drain the Axie Infinity Bridge. Ryan, I knew that a docx file could have bad, like malicious code in it. I did not know that a PDF could have malicious code in it. That is news to me. What file format is safe? Are there, are I, there I, any safe JPEGs file formats? JPEGs are still safe, David. JPEGs All your NFTs safe? and JPEGs are still safe, 100%. GIFs are safe. Christ. Beyond that, I can't tell you. Don't Gips, download Gips, anything. Gips safe? Stop you, using the sure? internet, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you have to do. <laughs> I, it's oh serious, though. I mean, this is a, a $540 million hack, and mm -hmm. um, an individual being targeted in this way is um, it's a pretty sophisticated attack. It still yeah, kind of boggles crazy. my mind. It's pretty and, crazy. I mean, people in crypto have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. Right. And anyways, speaking of being careful and how crypto people need to do more of that, uh, Uprise, again, a crypto bank or a crypto investment fund, I don't even know, but some entity called Uprise lost 99% of clients' funds. You know, did you know what it was for, Ryan? By shorting Luna during the price crash. And so what did they do? They went... Uh, they shorted Luna at $30 with 100x leverage, and then Luna hit $32 before going to zero, and they got liquidated. This is a lesson in fractals, uh, where like it, if you take 100x leverage, your time frame goes from long to extremely short. And so it doesn't matter if you are in a like a 99.99% downtrend. If you take 100x leverage, you're taking a micro slice of that price chart, and that thing could go up like a ridiculous amount. So like, what was Luna at the height? It was something like I don't know, like $250. If it goes from $250 dollars down to $30, that's like down like 85, 90%. If it goes up $3, that's up 10%. And if you take 100x leverage, you get liquidated at that level. That is ridiculous. Imagine losing your entire business by shorting Luna with 100x leverage. So Whoops. dumb. It's so Whoops. dumb. It's, it's embarrassingly stupid. This is um, uh, Uprise took custody crypto assets from customers and traded them in cryptocurrency futures market. And this is what they were doing with it. They they say that they have an AI enabled trading technology Ooh, that's supposed to minimize AI, the AI risk enabled, associated boy. with leveraged crypto trading. Wow! <laughs> and you're gonna go short Luna in this type of a market. It's just you know some of the mistakes that were made by so-called professionals mm -hmm. this cycle are completely mm -hmm. embarrassing. Like I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. Honestly, it's been the most surprising thing about this downturn is how dumb the so-called professionals have been. Not all of them, but enough of them where you're mm. like, what? Like, is this your first time in crypto? Right. Do you know nothing? Y I'm, you're so, not a professional, some, you're just taking leverage. I guess, I mean, maybe it's just the excess of greed that, uh, like, cause some of these are smart people. I actually don't, I fundamentally don't understand how these mistakes were made unless you use some explanation of like, you know, kind of greed and ego. 
it's uh, it's it's going to be something we're st- we'll, we'll study in the weeks to come, in the months to come. Got to touch this quickly too. Um, recently, last week, the EU f- finalized some new crypto legislation. I'm going to read you some key points from a thread put together from uh, the policy leader at Ledger, which of course Ledger, the hardware wallet, they are based in France, so they've been tracking this thing closely. And the TLDR of this legislation is called MICA. It doubles down on the failed notion of leading in regulation. This is Seth who's saying this from uh, Ledger, rather than prioritizing innovation, but it could have been worse. So it fails in a lot of ways. Uh, It doesn't prioritize innovation. It uh, prioritizes regulation, but also, David, it could have been worse. Okay, Mm -hmm. here are some of the things that were good and some of the things that were bad. Uh, On NFTs, it was good. They were fully out of scope of this round of regulation, so that's a good thing. So is DeFi, another good thing. But... Parliament failed to ban proof-of-work blockchains and assets directly while they, while they didn't ban it directly. They snuck in a potential backdoor to ban it later. So within two years, the commission must report on mandatory minimum sustainability standards for consensus mechanisms. So leaving the door open to completely ban proof-of-work, which is not awesome. Also, stablecoin regulation was particularly heavy-handed and requires a physical presence in the EU. Not completely clear what that means, but I wonder if, if this means in some way, if you are issuing a stablecoin in the EU, you actually have to be jurisdictionally located in the EU. Uh, so there's some complications around that. So all in all, uh, a big step. It's not done yet. There's going to be a second level of, of legislation, some review clauses, some more agency reports. And uh, I know those crypto companies that are based in, in Europe will continue fighting for this. Uh, so not great. Could have been worse, though. I guess that's what we should expect from legislators and regulators at this stage in the game. Also going to be one of those things that we continually report on going into the future. Uh, something actually really co- cool, pivoting here, uh, really cool release out of the Layer 2 Aztec Network. Aztec Connect finally got launched on Mainnet. Uh, for those that don't know, Aztec Connect, it's kind of like a private VPN for your layer one DeFi stuff. So you go to the Aztec Connect uh, layer two, you put your money there, and then via that layer two, that layer two will interact and engage with layer one DeFi apps on your behalf in like this privacy wrapper. Uh, So it's like when you're on the Aztec layer two, you get to go do stuff in DeFi, but you still exist on the layer two and it's private. Uh, And they use complicated cryptography magic stuff to make that happen. Uh, Basically, what what gets to happen uh, is that you get to do confidential DeFi, staking, vault entry, lending, and swaps, all private. You get significant gas cost reductions because there's this beautiful symbiosis between privacy and scalability. Uh, And uh, you also get to have like private treasury management, so like DAOs get to manage their treasuries without like disclosing what they're doing. You can also do like private NFT purchases and private trading and all that stuff. Uh, and so that's pretty cool. That is a release. You can go and play around with that. And ASIC has not released a token. So maybe you would want to go play around with that. Do you remember last market cycle we were talking about privacy tokens and Zcash and Monero right. and all of these things? Right. Is this essentially embedding that as an app into yes. Ethereum? So I've always said, like so privacy is an app, not an asset. I don't understand privacy tokens. I do understand privacy apps. That makes much more sense. This is really cool, and I think it's really bullish um, for privacy. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully, um, this uh, you know this continues to pick up steam. David, we got some bankers that are leaving 
their banks and going into crypto. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's this? And do you think this is going to be a trend? Yeah, quick headline. Three execs leave JP Morgan this week to join crypto firms. So the brain drain out of TradFi and into DeFi uh, continues. So bankers going bankless, what we love to see. If you are a banker and you want a job in crypto, and come on over like to the to, bankless yeah. jobs board. All right, <laughs> get a job in crypto. Even if you're not a banker, <laughs> even if uh, you have no financial skills, there's lots of things that are required. You can go take a look at the jo- bankless job boards. I'm going to read a few out for you right now. The first is from Stakefish, a smart contract software engineer, a back-end full-stack software engineer as well, blockchain marketer from Stakefish. It's not technical. Stakefish front-end software engineer, DevOps engineer. Stakefish trying to hire everybody right now. Alliance DAO wants a CTO, a software engineer, a senior software engineer, and an executive assistant. Non-technical. Otterspace wants a Solidity engineer, Abstract Ventures, a front-end engineer, Boolean Labs, founder and CEO, blockchain capital, research engineer. I could go on. We got Uniswap Ooh, up here. Ooh, is that the alpha? Link. Ooh, look at that alpha. Alpha, go. Scroll back Argent. up, Ryan. Scroll back, scroll back up. Senior mobile engineer, iOS, Uniswap Labs. Oh. Ooh, that is some alpha. That's some alpha. Uniswap, what are you, what are you brewing what are you, up? What are you up to? Guys, of course, you can find all of this. David and I will remind you every single roll-up, but you can find out for yourself on bankless.palette.com slash jobs. Make sure you add your email address so you get these uh, to you in your inbox every day. David. We got some hot stuff next, including yep. questions from the nation. As usual, some hot takes. Make sure you like and subscribe if you are enjoying this roll-up. We'll be right back. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. All right, guys, we are back. Time for the questions from the nation. Of course, we tweet this out every week. You can ask your question by replying to the tweet. Follow at BanklessHQ. Uh, hi, David and Ryan. This is from Claudie.eth. I would like to ask about a post-merge situation. If I understand it correctly, those who stake on the merge should take a part at transaction fees of transaction fees. But which part of the fees will it be? Base fee or tips? David, you got the answer for this one? Yeah, so base, the, all transaction fees when you pay on Ethereum are split into two parts, the base fee and the tip. The base fee uh, fluctuates, what, what the percentage of these things fluctuates, but there seems to be an equilibrium, about 90 to 10 base fee to tip. So 90% of that transaction fee goes to the base fee, 10% goes to the tip. The base fee is burnt. That is the EIP-1559 burn. Uh, so the majority of Ether is burnt. That is like the, the stock buyback. That's the uh, ultrasound in ultrasound money. So that, everyone gets that if you hold ETH if in you a way. Hold, if you hold ETH, you gain exposure to that burn. Only if you stake ETH do you get that extra 10% tips. Uh, and you can, t- you, you can see it in the name. It is a tip that is paid to stakers to prioritize their transaction over other transactions. So like the, the base fee is, is where, where transactions used to be before EIP-1559. It used to be only tips. And we just called that the gas fee. Now the gas fees are both the, the base fee burn and now the tip. And so the tip has been reduced down to 10% and that goes directly to validators. And the more you tip, the, fat, the uh, higher in the queue that you get. And so all validators get that 10% tip. Um, and just a reminder for other staking revenue sources. So one is definitely that tip portion. That's mm-hmm. the transaction fee portion. Another is, of course, block rewards right. that a staker receives. And a third source of revenue is maximum extractable value, MEV, mm-hmm. which you also receive as a staker and a validator. So three revenue sources there. Um, David, here's another question from mm-hmm. discovercrypto.eth. I know how valuable L2s are to the ETH ecosystem. Once complete data sharding happens on Ethereum way down the line and transactions are fast and cheap on L1, what use will we have for things like Optimism and Arbitrum? 
David, what you got? Okay, so the asker, discovercrypto.eth, thank you for the question. The way that you're phrasing this is that, and transactions are fast and cheap on the layer one. They're going to be, uh, with data sharding, they're going to be faster and cheaper, but they will not necessarily be super fast and super cheap. So like, it doesn't really matter what the state of transactions are on the layer one, that layer twos will always be orders of magnitude faster and cheaper than whatever the layer one is. Think of like layer twos as like an exponent of scale. And so like if uh, the, the layer one is X, then the, the layer twos are like to the power of two or to the power of three. And so even if we do like a two X, a three X of the layer one uh, uh, throughput, like it doesn't matter because that 2x turns into 2x squared with layer twos. I don't know if you were following the math analogy, but I think it makes sense to me. It doesn't matter how fast we can get transactions and how cheap we can get transactions on the layer one. Layer twos will always be an exponentially increased order of magnitude faster and cheaper than whatever the layer one is. And also like layer, while the layer one will get faster and will have more total space, I don't think it'll necessarily get cheaper and so it'll, we will always need layer twos to have, if we ever want zero fee transactions, it's going to be on layer twos and layer threes. Uh, and then layer one is going to be kind of expensive probably all the time. While it will have more total data, it'll probably be pretty expensive and it'll probably be prohibitively expensive for most people. Yeah, so to double down on that and be uh, super explicit, transaction fees on layer one are probably never going down. Yeah. That's, prob that's not part of Ethereum's uh, scalability strategy. It is scaling on layer two. And this mm -hmm. is why we've encouraged um, people to start investigating these layer twos like Arbitrum, Optimism, Immutable, and others, because that's going to be your crypto home. That's where you go bankless is on mm -hmm. these layer twos. Migrate, leave from layer one. We put out a couple of episodes about this, the great um, layer two migration that you can check if you uh, want to learn a bit more about this. But I don't think transaction fees are going to go down long term on mainnet. So we should all be migrating to layer twos. Uh, David, let's let's do some hot takes of the week. Here's mm -hmm. a first one from Leighton. What's he saying here? Leighton Cusack, the guy that created all the poolies that we know and love, he says, the only lenders Celsius has paid back, Ave, MakerDAO, Compound. And he, f and he continues, smart contracts have a higher liquidation preference than any paper agreement. DeFi protects you from Celsius. What, what he's saying here is that the agreements, the, the parameters for your loans in DeFi are steeper they're steeper if they're Aave, if they're MakerDAO, if they're Compound. And this is the cost of decentralization. You pay higher liquidation penalties. You have to post higher collateral bonds. And so what he's saying is this, the autom automation of DeFi and the smart contract nature of DeFi requires higher level of security, therefore higher level of retail protections, Ryan. Protections yeah, what's built super into the cool code. about this is remember you said markets go bad. It's all arbitrated in court systems, right? Mm -hmm. Well, not the case with DeFi, as we right. made the point earlier, right? Mm -hmm. So um, Celsius can't get out of these collateralized loans right. in Maker, in Compound, right. in Aave. Right. They just can't because mm -hmm. it's written in code and all of their collateral will be, um, will be completely dissolved. And so they have to pay them back. And so it, it puts, if you're in DeFi, puts you at the top of the stack in terms of liquidation pr um, preferences. And that's a great place to be. I think, once again, I can't say enough, David, that one of the big outcomes of this whole crypto meltdown that we've seen recently is just like seeing how well DeFi performed, right? right? Especially relative to um, CeFi, like it held up strong. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that is incredibly bullish. And people will realize that on the other side of this bear market that, hey, at the end of the day, it was the smart contracts 
that um, you know saved us. And the centralized lending providers did not. And look at how well they held up. For all of the, the risk and the smart contract risk and all of these other mm-hmm. things, um, they were the ones that actually preserved retail capital, investor mm-hmm. capital during the crypto meltdown. So that's a, that's a bullish thing. David, what's this take from Vitalik? I had to screenshot this tweet because it was actually deleted by Rudy Giuliani. Uh, so Rudy, this is a Vitalik is uh, retweeting a Rudy Giuliani tweet, uh, and Vitalik says, "Claim the crypto space is weird and dumb, and we should go back to mainstream institutions, which are ruled by adults." And then reality, and this is where he is retweeting the Rudy Giuliani tweet. Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani tweets great products at reasonable pro, reasonable prices. Use code Rudy for additional <laughs> savings. And we are looking at a picture of new new sandals, but we have some like cro- like like bad, terrible Croc knockoff looking sandals. Regular price seventy nine ninety eight. Actual price forty nine ninety eight at mypillow.com promo code Rudy with like a star spangled banner like fireworks and 4th of July savings. Rudy (laughs) Giuliani is tweeting out a discount code to some knockoff looking sandals. (laughs) This is insane. Yes, David. These are the the adults ruling our political system right now. Uh, And uh, yeah, I guess guess I'm fine with all the crypto weirdness in this context. Okay, here's a tweet from Vance Spencer. We, we don't need any new narratives. We are like 0.1% of the way through the current narratives. We do need the grifters and low effort projects to capitulate. Once a wave of those announcements hit, we are close. Anyway, how old are you, son? <laughs> <laughs> I like the way this ends. I don't know why it ends that way. But here, here's his point. Once a wave of those announcements hit, we are close. David, mm-hmm. we've just seen a wave of those announcements. This is why it's kind of feeling like we're close. And then Vance's other point is like, hey, let's get the whole like, um, self sovereign money thing right. use case down. Like there's still a lot to do on that. Let's get mm-hmm. the whole bankless DeFi money system down. Let's get NFTs in the metaverse to be true property rights for things that matter and people will use in their everyday life. Like we have enough narratives in crypto to blow this thing up to like a hundred billion dollars, a hundred trillion dollars in total addressable market size. And so like, we're just a fraction of the way there. Right. I think it's a great point. Remember how we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, how like I lost this like wire transfer and like this, the UX UI of uh, USCC transfers on Ethereum is just like orders yeah. of magnitude. Like w- that, that's the whole 1% of the way. When we stop doing wire transfers, then we can actually get somewhere. Like the whole paradigm of instant and permissionless liquidity in Uniswap still underappreciated. Like the... Boomer DeFi, and this is why I think he ended it on like, how old are you, son? Boomer DeFi, like DeFi 1.0, like that stuff is still crazy to most of the world. Like that stuff is still brand new paradigms. And so Van Spencer is like, yo, guys, like I know crypto moves really fast. We cycle from narrative to narrative to narrative. But remember, like the first narratives are also still really good. This might be why he's bullish on some of the DeFi blue chips, as he Mm -hmm. told us uh, last time. David, Mm -hmm. some advice for what to do during a bear market from Nader. Do you want to read these out? Yeah, he says, top three things to do during a bear market. One, meet people that stick around. Two, learn about the technology to gain conviction. Three, build something you're passionate about. Man, I could have written this tweet. This is a great tweet. This is a great tweet. (laughs) That's why we included it in the roll-up. Absolutely great advice from Nader there. All right, David, what are you bullish about this week, man? 
Uh, I'm pretty bullish on ETHCC, which is happening in two weeks. Uh, so a week from a week from tomorrow, we're flying out to France. Uh, ECC, I can't believe it's been one year, as in it's only been one year. But ETHCC was like the first conference I went to when conference season, 2021 conference season really started. Uh, and so ECC- It's also the last for a while, right? Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is the last for a while. And so it was the first post-COVID conference. It was the conference I got my first COVID at. Uh, and um, But like now everyone, now COVID's largely over. Everyone's going back. Uh, it's like Stani's gonna be there. There's gonna be a Rave. MakerDAO's gonna throw their Dafinity. Uh, so, many, like, so many good talks. A lot of the things that were talked about at ECC last year, became kind of like the the cultural meta that was discussed in the, the next year. NFTs were big. Also, non-financial use cases of the blockchain were a very big thing. Vitalik spawned that off. You know what that turned into, Ryan? Uh, Soulbound NFTs. Uh, and so like you know like six months, eight months later, that turned into a big big like part of the the, the meme, the cultural meme at the at the time. Uh, so I'm just gonna go here and see what what are people focused on next. Uh, and so I remember this it's is a pretty the, smart group too. It's super like a high smart group. IQ yeah. conference, right? Yeah, high IQ should conference. They, should that intimidate people though? <laughs> uh, I mean, so tickets are already sold out. I'm pretty sure, but so many people are going anyways uh, for all the peripheral events, and this is pretty common for ECC. So like, if you're around or just want to go to Paris, uh, you can go to ECC, uh, try and bum a ticket off of someone, but uh, if you can't, just go to all the peripheral events because that's what that's what I'll be doing. There's like a ton of peripheral parties, but also like actual like side conferences and side talks. Uh, so I'm going to be doing some sort of like content there, whether it's like in-person interviews or just writing about it, IDK. Um, but yeah, I'm bullish on ECC. Great conference. Looking forward to going back. That's awesome, man. It's their fifth. These are conference yeah. OGs. ECC, so by the way, sounds for Ethereum Community Conference. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah I, I, I feel know. like I knew that and then I forgot it. And right. thanks for dragging my memory. Yeah. It's awesome, man. All right, Ryan, what are you bullish on? Uh, I'm not going to say mine because you made fun of it. Okay, David? <laughs> I'm going to say a different one. Uh, mine originally was, uh, I'm bullish about the future, guys. And I had this thing where like optimism is, you know, is um, so important in how builders build for optimism. I was inspired by Josh Rosenthal. When we were going over this, David laughed out loud when he heard I was bullish on the future. So I'm not going to say that. Um, but I will tell you, I am bullish on NFTs, David. Oh yeah. Like the <laughs> stuff me why that's you're going on, on NFTs, Ryan. <laughs> the future of NFTs. I'll say that. The stuff that's going on with like Reddit mm -hmm. and Polygon is the um it's incredible how quickly the um narrative and sentiment has shifted on NFTs. Now mm -hmm. everyone's like like I guess the popular narrative, not everyone, not not people who are deep in crypto. Like NFTs were a scam, they're only JPEGs. We're like back to that again. And we've just swung so far to the other end of the uh, end of the pendulum, you know, a lot of NFTs will fail. Many will go down 99% in value, but there will be a new generation of these NFT property rights, these ERC uh, 721s, and we'll have a resurgence, the next um, bull market. And look for these signs when you see like the social media companies of the world continuing to build, continuing to add into these things, you can see it uh, start to happen, some of the foundation being laid. So I'm bullish on NFTs. I'm also bullish on the future. Yeah, I bet you are. The, the problem with being bullish on NFTs is that like, it's hard to, you can be bullish on NFTs as a sector, but it's hard to like inject that into like, I'm bullish on this one totally particular agree. NFT. 100%. You know what that makes me bullish on, Ryan? What? Block space.
Because <laughs> you always, ro people rotate through NFTs all the time, but there's only one block space. Well, there totally are layer two block spaces, but it all collapses down to Ethereum block space. Chris so that Dixon makes me said it. But block space is the commodity yeah. of the crypto age of the next couple of decades, for sure. You know, you know what's a good proxy for block space, Ryan? I do. Ether. It's that Ether holding. It's that ETH. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. David, I like your plant, by the way. That's it. First roll up with the new plant in the they new place. They can't see it, but I'll, I'll bring it in here. Here we go. Yeah, what is it? Does it have a name? It's a Dracaena. It's a Dracaena Maganera. Here it is. What's special about this plant? Uh, it, it's easy to keep alive when I go travel away. <laughs> it looks great. It's got some purple hues. It's got some green. Really impressed. I'm looking forward to seeing your uh, menagerie <laughs> grow behind you. <laughs> this slowly turns into a, um, oh, this, a greenhouse. This is, this is not the plant corner. This is strictly the studio corner. Oh, but uh, we're going to have plants. Okay, so, so since we're on, well, a few plants, but mainly studio. Since we're on the topics of things that we're bullish on, uh, I think, I don't know if I've told you this. I told you I was going to do it. I don't know if I've told you I've done it, but I bought $10,000 worth of studio equipment yesterday, Ryan. <laughs> oh my God, wow. <laughs> so we're doing this, huh? Oh yeah, we're doing it. It's Bangla for real. Studio's happening. Yeah. It's uh -huh. official. Mm -hmm. And look, guys, we're doing this during the bear market. That's right. how much we believe. Right. That's how much we believe. Uh, David, you want to get to the meme of the week? Meme of the week. Let's do it. Okay, uh, this is a picture out of Kobe, and it's one of these ones that progresses, and it starts with Q1 2021, and this is Jerome Powell saying, quantitative, quantitative easing won't cause inflation, and then we go into Q2 2021, and okay, we're, now we're, you know, some inflation, but it's transitory. Now we're at Q3 2021, okay, high inflation, but we're peaking. Q4 2021, okay, inflation might not be transitory, but job market wage growth very strong. And then Q1 2022, need to hike aggressively to curb inflation, but no worries, economy very strong and soft landing possible. Q2 2022, we are here, by the way, Q2 2022, negative growth in Q1, but no recession risk. Q3 2022, so this is now predicting the future. Okay, recession coming, but you won't lose your home. Q4 2022, okay, you might lose your home, but you won't starve to death. Q1 2023, you may die, but you'll go to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love is this meme. Super dark. And this, this is it. an ex explicit part of the agenda for po the podcast that we're about to go record with Lynn Alden. Uh, oh, God, in 10 minutes or, or in one hour and 10 minutes? Let me check our schedule. No, 10 right. minutes, man. We got we to gotta be Oh, done. fuck, 10 minutes. Okay, in 10 minutes, we are literally going to go ask Lynn Alden about this question. That podcast is coming out um, this coming Monday or yeah. next Monday? And this now we're Monday. actually, yeah. so we're not in Q2, David. You know, we transfer, July is oh, Q3. Yeah. So we're at mm. this phase where it's, okay, recession coming, but you will not lose your home. And then mm. the next phase is, okay, maybe you lose your own, but you won't starve to death. And then you actually die. That's the question we have for Lynn Alden. Are, are we, we all going to die? Are we going to be okay? Is macro going to be fine? Does Am I Jerome dumb Powell, for being bearish or bullish? <laughs> like, does this guy have any idea what he's doing? Yeah. Are the central banks driving us completely right. off a cliff? Uh, anyway, stay tuned for the macro content for Bankless. As always, got to end with none of this has been financial advice. It you might die. <laughs> you, you might die. You can definitely lose what you put in. You get dysentery on the, on the journey. Uh, but we're right there with you. And of course, crypto is not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. If we all die, we all die together.